when you do something that just improves your entire body on all parameters to perform better, that's going to outperform any drug. Yeah. So it's going to work with a lot of stuff. And so you can have therapies like ice baths, like exercise, like saunas that just are improving the basic functions of your body, which ends up netting into working with a lot of diseases. So I think people get tripped up by that because, um, they might see a laundry list of just all the things that like ice baths work with, but mm -hmm. it's really your body. You're just giving it the food that it needs um, to, to be able to do that. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. The interviewpodcast.org is newly revised. You can go there and it's a much more navigable system to find all the conversations we've had. Or if you uh, have a comment, you can send us a contact there. Also, if you want to help support the show, if, you, if, if the value you receive is attached to a dollar amount, click on the support button, send it back our way so we can continue these conversations. Uh, otherwise, tell more people about it. Micah Lau, uh, Micah for Health on Instagram, joins me today to talk about uh, his journey through uh, the healthcare system in a strange way uh, into where he now uh, has started a company, simplyo3.com. Uh, I actually found him on the Instagram uh, because he sits in ice water a lot, and that intrigued me. So uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation. I certainly did. Thanks for hanging out with us. Let's jump right into it. Michael Lau, welcome to the interview. Um, you are somewhere, I think, in America, right? <laughs> Traveling yeah, about I'm in Florida right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, whatever. Florida. Um, I, my in-laws are down there for the month of February, and they keep sending pictures of the beach and how warm. And we had a balmy 38 degrees yesterday, so we are. Uh, yeah, when you, you know, being from Michigan, when it's just like clouds all the time, it just kind of wears on your psyche. Like you're more lethargic, less motivated, a little yeah. bit, maybe even, I wouldn't say depressed, but a little bit sad, you know? So getting into a space where there's sunlight just really makes a difference on all those things. I feel a lot better. Totally. So I um, help a few people kind of start podcasts throughout their, what, you know, in this whole, idea of beginning conversations with people so there's a kid that reached out back i guess it would have been last summer um this uh, you know late summer 22 and for, and for bozeman and he wanted to start a conversation show kind of you know similar to this um his of course the goal is the joe rogan feel in that it's just long-form conversations with people that are impacting the world and so um taylor mclaughlin uh has that going and in that process he said you know what i'm I've got a friend who's does this cold plunges and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, I'm, I'm going to start doing it. And so then of course, because the social medias clearly listen to you, um, cold plunge things start popping up on Instagram for me. And, uh, then I run across you. Um, I don't, I, I this is where we're going to get into, but deliberately in the snow, standing outside and climbing into a bath of frozen water. Um, and so I thought, you know what, there's something to that. And you, you, I, I read one of your posts that said that you had found um, 
health relief for I think a- asthma. You said uh, yes. has has dissipated yeah, with kind of the cold therapy. So kind of walk through that. First off, what made you think? You know what? If I get really cold, it might help. Uh, yeah, I didn't really have any idea. So like when I first got into it, um, it was about six years ago. Seven, I don't know exact time frames, but somewhere between five and seven years ago. And uh, essentially what would happen, like my family, we go up to the Pacific Northwest and the Olympic Peninsula during the summers uh, to be with my wife's side of the family. You know, uh, she's from Washington, so we spend some time with her family there. And uh, there's inlets from the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just a little bit cooler. They're like, you know, maybe 60 to 70 degrees, not not super cold, but it's also not like a warm pool or anything like that. And it could be a nice summer day out, like 85, 90 in the water, still not super hot but it's but it's not cold but anyway we'd be like on the dock or something and everybody's swimming and having a good time and anytime i would go into the water my lungs would constrict up to where i couldn't talk for a little bit and uh just while you were in the water or just for a while as you yeah it messes with you your your lungs constrict so Mm -hmm. i can't remember how long afterwards it would last but i i just remember like jumping in the water and then you're kind of waiting in there and like having a conversation and be like (laughs) (laughs) you know trying to talk with people as i'm also trying to breathe and it's pretty much just embarrassing so out of embarrassment i was like well i kind of want to get over uh this and i had other asthma symptoms too it wasn't just that but um the thought process essentially was like i wonder if i can train myself to become acclimated to cold so that when i get cold i won't have that uh that reaction anymore. Like my lungs won't constrict. So I didn't really know anything about cold exposure or any like benefits. That was just like a thought process. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I I had seen like videos of people do like polar plunge stuff, but I thought that was just kind of thrill seeking. Like, Oh, we're just doing something (laughs) for fun. You know, not like that there was Mm -hmm. an actual, uh, beneficial side effect to it. So I, I initially just started with cold showers. I do like a two minute deep breathing session prior get in the cold shower for like, I can't remember if it was 90 seconds or two minutes. I had listened to something and it said like, try 90 seconds to two minutes. So I did that. What does cold mean in that? In just straight cold water or just a cool? Yeah, just as cold as it would go. Yeah. Um, So, you know, the the water temperature changes obviously between summer and winter. So in winter, it's colder than it is in the summer. But in the winter, it won't get below like 55 degrees or so just because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, how cold the the ground will be at a certain level so if it's coming up from a well it's going to be around 55 somewhere in there um so i started by just doing those and then i would notice my breathing and tight chestedness would just be better uh throughout the day especially immediately afterwards um and then i started doing just the cold tap water baths and uh, ended up preferring those but uh would do those in a shower yeah, it's honestly like easier to do. I, I think it's easier to get into ice water, like really cold <laughs> ice water than it is to do a cold shower. And I think it's just like because when you're doing a cold shower, you got, a, you know, a direction of water coming at you and you're trying to get mm-hmm. all your body right. parts in there. Yep. And then like your back heats up <laughs> right. and then you hit your back and now your chest is starting to hit. So you're yeah. going through that like discomfort mm-hmm. uh every time you expose it to the cold water kind of like if you set multiple alarms i never understood why people do that in the morning is like just get up at the first one you train your body because you have to like go through that process of waking every up time. five yeah. times and it's yeah. like it's more uncomfortable to do that than just get you know, anyway kind of the same concept and 
Yeah. So what what ended up happening is over the course of doing that for a couple months, uh, all my asthma symptoms went away, not just when I was cold. And so then I started to look into it more and I'm pretty plugged into like the uh, natural health or integrative health industry. And so I have some contacts there. I ended up making friends with uh, a guy who's a, a PhD, he's a professor at ASU and he owns an ice bath company as well. Um, and just learned about the benefits of ice baths. And so so when do, you like, when you reached out to him, did you say, hey, I had this benefit? And he's like, oh, yeah, yep, that's how it works. Or was this kind of a new, like, it, it, did you discover something? Uh, I, I didn't discover <laughs> anything. So there's a difference between, like, science and anecdotes. And, like, so scientific <laughs> literature is, like, yeah. based on a hypothesis of, like, we, we think this will happen. So mm -hmm. we're going to try to observe that. Um, through quantitative data, so number of people and the markers that I'm looking at and all that kind of stuff. But people like me, you know, I'm not going to go out and do a study to verify that I got rid of my asthma symptoms. So, um, you know, I just did it. And then the scientific literature, if there's enough people like me that have something like that, might say, hey, that's something we should investigate and see mm -hmm. how effective it is for how many people and to the degree that it works and all the parameters that are necessary, like uh, how long do you need to do it for? How frequently is it a long lasting effect right. and just all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, at the time that I presented it to him, um, it was a couple of years ago. He was like, huh, it worked with your asthma. That's interesting. I didn't know it could do that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty certain it was that because I had made no other changes in my lifestyle or how I was doing things at the time. And I would also have the noticeable alleviation at the start, mm -hmm. you know, once I got out of the shower, like it was noticeably better thereafter. And so, but, um, going through that, uh, there's been some case studies reported of like, uh, people reversing asthma, not like full, full on studies, but case studies essentially documenting what happened and what parameters were affected. There's a few of those. And then um, as I've been posting on Instagram, I think I have like over 10 million views. I'm doing some of the ice, like six, six different videos on mm -hmm. ice baths or something like that. And I've probably had that that I've seen. I don't even see all the comments because there's a lot, but like at least 20 people have said, oh, I got rid of my asthma. Wow. Too. So I, I'm pretty confident there's mm -hmm. something there. And I'm not sure if it's just dealing with the inflammation, but it's doing a lot of stuff in the body. It's creating brown fat, which is a secretory organ that works with uh, thyroid specifically, but has some other benefits. So who knows the mechanism that's causing that, but, uh, yeah, it seems to be pretty good and fundamental. Like there's a lot of interesting therapies, um, the, you know, like exercise, for example, um, if I had to say like, what are the benefits of exercise? Mm -hmm. Well, you'll have a whole laundry list reverses type two diabetes does this, that, and the other. Um, and it sounds like kind of a fake thing, but, uh, <coughs> What you need to understand, I guess, with these like fundamental therapies that are just improving your body to perform better, it's really tough to nail down the exact mechanism of action because it's just improving everything. Well, yeah, and I think, yeah. Uh, to to say that this that. that you know running on a treadmill fixes these things that it's hard to prove that, right? I mean, because because there are other things that you do, or is that something that is quantifiable? Well, I think. I, it, it is quantifiable. It's just a matter of if the quantification, it, like it, exercise has been studied over and over and over. So we know like you can reverse type two diabetes with uh, lifestyle and diet if it's caught early enough and ice baths actually have a role to play. But I think the point I'm making is like, you can have these things that mm -hmm. have drastic effects on the body across like um, all cause mortality. So like just ways that you would die or just hundreds of diseases because it's not, we're, we're so accustomed to thinking like, 
aspirin is for headaches or to thin out the blood and it's the two things mm -hmm. that it does but when you do something that just improves your entire body on all parameters to perform better that's going to outperform any drug yeah so it's going to work with a lot of stuff and so you can have therapies like ice baths like exercise like saunas that just are improving the basic functions of your body which ends up netting into working with a lot of diseases so i think people get tripped up by that because um they might see a laundry list of just all the things that like ice baths work with but mm -hmm. it's really your body you're just giving it the food that it needs um to to be able to do that does heat work similarly you know because you, you hear the other side where you know, you need to go 200 degrees and, you know, really crank the heat up and sweat stuff out. It, I mean, is, is it just another tool or? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. I love, I love saunas. I mean, I was into those long before I was into ice baths and, um, so it's called a hormetic therapy. So hormetic, like the idea with that is that we're using a stress response to make the body stronger. That's the exact same thing with exercise, right? You're actually tearing mm -hmm. up muscle. You're actually building up lactic acid. You're doing these things that on paper and if you're looking at the biochemistry look like a harmful thing but well what happens your body responds by building back stronger making everything healthier so those are in the same category and i'm not saying like everything that stresses your body like alcohol for example there's i mean it, people would argue this but there's really no known benefit to it uh, like in any dose um and i i know people would argue that and say well there's <laughs> this and the antioxidants and stuff mm -hmm. so um there's obviously conflicting literature on that but yeah, uh, hormetic therapies um, are really interesting because like, yeah, uh, a sauna um, that would probably work on different things, maybe not directly with like what I experienced, which was asthma, but uh, there's only four different ways that you get crap out of your body. You sweat it, you uh, pee, poop, and why am I missing the other one? Uh, spit, or I can't remember. There, there's another way, <laughs> but I'm forgetting right now. So bloodletting, yeah, yeah the, which is actually good to do because the ferritin levels, so you can build up ferritin levels and have too much iron in your blood over time, which uh, decreases longevity. But um, that just forces there, your body to make more, in theory, right? If you're low, then you yeah, it's so the idea of bloodletting, and I, I'm not an expert in that by any means. Leeching, but like, leeches. <laughs> I don't know about the leeches. I think that's kind right. of long gone and it's not like for acute stuff, but um, right. you have this uh, with our environment, you can build up uh, ferritin levels, which when it gets to be in excess, it, it, essentially it's stuff that um, makes it tough for your body to do its job um, in the blood. Mm -hmm. And so if you are in a, like, let's say you're a mechanic in a workshop and you're constantly in a toxic environment, your ferritin levels might be high. So if you, get rid of some of the blood in your system um let's say like once every two months you can reduce the ferritin levels and that's like the only known way to really drop them down um because your butt body does have to create new stem cells create new blood and mm -hmm. and um yeah it's like a filtering mechanism essentially but yeah with uh with saunas you're 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 sweating out um a lot of stuff that can build up over time you're reducing your likelihood of cardiovascular disease so there's a lot of good stuff to it so it really is a mindset change, like for anyone to, to, and, you know, thinking of medicine and, you know, where we've gone with modern medicine, it's seems to be all synthetic and it's all, uh, or the majority of it is, oh, you have this problem. Here's this brand new pill that is going to fix that problem. Um, and it seems difficult. And it, is it just because 
it's the easiest answer. It's the thing that people will do. It's easy to swallow something than to go exercise or change your diet or, or uh, change how you live. Yeah, I think it kind of starts with the institute. I think that's part of it, mm-hmm. but it starts with how the institutions are um, teaching their practitioners and how to do things. And it really is based around healthcare is a drug system. And I'm not saying it's all bad by any stretch of the means, but when you look at the overarching premise of it is, it is to prescribe drugs mm-hmm. and give that to people as the solution for what they have going on. Um, so, But, like but, but is that born that, out of out of a convenience mindset? It's just easier? Um, I think from the customer standpoint, like the end user, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's a convenience factor. And if somebody who in your mind is an authority figure with a white coat has gone through medical school is telling you that's the best way to deal with it. Like you check off your boxes and you're good to go. Um, but I think on the other side of it too, you can look at it from a money standpoint is like, those are hugely profitable. If I put you on metformin for the rest of your life, rather than actually reversing your type two diabetes with Mm -hmm. diet and lifestyle, which I would make zero money on or very little and make a ton of money. So like, what is the incentive structure there? The incentive structure is to give you something that, smooths it over that keeps you alive. Um, and that gets me paid a lot of money. And I'm not saying that everybody is in it for that. I'm just saying that's what the incentive structure is currently. And, uh, you know, I have a company with over 30 employees now. So like, which isn't big, right? It's pretty small, but, um, incentive structures are really important because depending on the way that you set that up, that's gonna pretty Mm -hmm. much direct the, track that they're going to, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what they're going to go for. So incentive structures are pretty important, um, on a, on a larger scale like that, because, um, I, I have the opportunity to vet out like who's working with me and the type of employees I have and the yeah. quality of people. And I really hit really hard on integrity and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, if somebody doesn't have those things, they don't make it. So, um, but when you're expanding that out to general population, and so this incentive structure is set up for you to not necessarily consider the patient's long-term well-being, but how much money you can extract from that. <coughs> well, in the general population, you have one percent of people that are psychopaths that don't. And I'm not saying, <laughs> yeah. and there's a continuum of that, mm-hmm. right? So, like, but they essentially lack empathy, so yeah. they don't have the software to be able to say what's it like to be in this person's shoes? Mm-hmm. They have the software to say, what can I get out of the situation? <laughs> right. So you, you have like, yeah, you have companies out there and I don't understand the inherent trust and in like, um, and I don't know what your listener base is like, but like for me, I don't understand like why there is an inherent trust in institutions that well, aren't necessarily well, lined up to have your best interest at heart. Well, I, I think it, from my digging around in it over the years, it began when, um, well, I mean, back in the day, the marketing was, uh, these are the cigarettes your doctor smokes. And so your doctor says, these are the best. lucky strikes. These are the guy. These are the ones you need. Um, and so you, you know, a, a pot of coffee a day keeps the, whatever. Uh, there was a lot of marketing that way. But what what's the driver behind it? See, I, t- I talked to a, it was probably 10 years ago. I interviewed an old guy right before he died. And he talked about when he was born um, and, you know, the story, he told me the story of that. And, you know, it was on the farm. The doctor, they, they sent word to the doctor. By the time he got there, the baby was born. And, you know, he checked everything, made everything was good. And they cost the dad a bucket of oats for the guy's horse. 
Uh, and then, you know, he'd work his way back and, and yeah. check. And, you know, back then, your life mattered. So when you went to the doctor, there was a, a real conversation about what are you doing? How's your stress? All, all that stuff. I don't see that happening today as much because it's about production. How many appointments can we cram into an hour? Yeah. So, so then well, a pill becomes the only thing. Well, you know, my next appointment's been waiting for me for five minutes, so uh, this is going to help you. And then we move to the next one. There's no investigation anymore, is there? Yeah, that's another incentive structure, right? So yeah. we've set it up in a way that's all geared around convenience rather than uh, doing the hard stuff that mm -hmm. are simple but not easy. Like it's, re like it's a really simple concept to get good movement, get good food, get out in the sun. Um, but in today's world, that's actually becoming increasingly difficult difficult to do with regularity right so like you i work go computer. outside in the sun right yeah i'm not saying just go outside in the sun but the the concept of a healthy lifestyle right you could think right. of like a farmer who's outside all the time working mm -hmm. has good community um yeah. good water and food supply that kind of stuff like the concepts are simple and pretty basic but it's pretty difficult to do and yeah i mean you mentioned uh the cigarette companies that's kind of an interesting history too it ties into this guy named morris fishbein who led the ama and he essentially they they knew that the cigarettes were bad and you can look all this up but morris fishbein is his name um and this was back in the 19 uh early 1900s i can't remember when he became the president of the ama i want to say somewhere around 1913 maybe it was in the 1920s but um yeah they they knew it was bad but they the the american medical association coupled with the cigarette companies for money so they went from uh, inflation adjusted to like around a million dollars a year, the AMA to almost immediately over a hundred million dollars a year. Hundred mi um, million or billion? Million. Million. Yeah, Inflation yeah. adjusted. Yeah. So they were a pretty small organization, but there's a vacuum at that time for standardization <laughs> of healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, so they they started to fill that vacuum, but and that was just like over the, a very short amount of time. So can you imagine your company a hundred xing in the next two years? Oh, geez, That's a pretty yeah. big difference. <laughs> hey, I think we saw that in the last two years. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah. the a, he was the uh, editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association from 1924 to 1950. Yeah, and you kind of have to dig a little bit yeah. because most of the stuff written on him is like, oh, he's a good guy. Well, White he actually Washington. got in, indicted for fraud and like all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, um, uh, he was the guy that produced the term or coined the term quack. Well, the president before him did, but he popularized it. And so there was like some stuff that he was working with, like this guy named Royal Rife created the Rife machine. And it's kind of out there. It's fringe even mm -hmm. for me. But um, the basic concept was, there, and there's documentation of like the letters between them two, but he was actually trying to buy the rights to the machine. So he'd like buy up the patents and then push it through the AMA. And when guys would deny him, he would essentially turn around and call him a quack and then shut him out of the medical system. Um, and there was two other, another guy that he did that with was Emmett Knott, who worked with something called ultraviolet butter radiation mm -hmm. um, that at one point made the front of Time magazine cover because it was rivaling uh, antibiotics for how effective it was with infections. But yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's the incentive structures we have today, but there's also the history behind it of um, people that are trying to build wealth and power at the expense of others. And there's a lot of people like we don't like to think that there's people like that in the world. But I truly believe there's there's a lot of them. Well, and, there uh, must be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. There has to be. <laughs> right. And and so I, I think that inherent trust of the institutions and 
coupled with the fact like, and I'm not saying like the people, like there's plenty of people within institutions that have a good um, heart in the matter and want to do good things. But like you said, if the incentive structure is set up to where I'm not considering uh, you as a person in your best interest, mm -hmm. uh, then I'm less likely to really follow through on that. So, um, and you can have doctors or practitioners, like, that's the other thing It's like, people seem to think that they're all experts at what they do. I've talked to so many, I've talked to thousands and thousands of doctors, uh, not for like my own care, but just because of the industry. I mean, yeah. There's some that are idiots, <laughs> like it, just like you get hire a plumber. There's bad plumbers out there. There's bad <laughs> doctors out there, yeah. um, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of introduce uh, these concepts to people because I think it really challenges um, what we really want to think, which is a lot of people have our best interests at heart and that um, <clears throat> everything is good and we're progressing as a species and all those kinds of things. And I'm not saying that we're not, but I think there's more in terms of health. I think it's better to put yourself in the captain seat and not delegate that out to other people and use them as advisors, but not the captain. Yeah, but that goes against what the last generation told us <clears throat> and taught us that you're supposed to obey your doctor and the police without question that they're, they are the, they have your best interest at heart. They know more than you. And you disobey them. I mean, birth is a good example. Uh, we have four children, and we've had vastly different experiences with all of them. Um, and the last one was the worst. <clears throat> and it was the, the disregard for the patient for what the doctor just was doing because it's what we do. Procedure, it's how we do it. I've got the training. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and so it's frustrating because it, it does erode that mindset that we you know you're the expert you are to be uh value like your opinion is valued above all else yeah well i think again you need to vet out the people that you work mm -hmm. with in the healthcare profession just like you would a, a plumber or somebody yeah. who's building her house because like there's plenty of people that just don't care. They're just trying to get through the day or they're mm -hmm. have a drinking problem and they're hung, hung over. Like that all exists within the medical profession too. So to yeah. think that that doesn't exist, like you have to vet them out because we've had great doctors and we've had really bad doctors. There is one OB who is like, um, as an example, we went in for a, a checkup and I'm not a huge uh, fan of the flu vaccine um, just because like if you look at so they use relative risk as their metrics for how successful mm -hmm. that's, that thing is. So they would say like, you know, there's an 80 percent success rate with it. When you look at absolute risk, which is saying like if I was to give this to any mm -hmm. given person uh, just off the street, there's less than a one percent chance it's actually going to remediate or excuse me, two percent um, actually going to keep you from getting the flu and there's about the same likelihood that you'll get it from the vaccine as well and that that, that might be dated information now but so what what's um, the marketing when... firm that came up with that genius plan because it worked i mean their marketing <laughs> to sell that thing has been phenomenal yeah well i mean if you use number gymnastics um and you guys can look up relative risk through uh versus absolute risk mm -hmm. and there's videos on youtube that break that down like how to actually look at that within a study but um yeah for some reason they're allowed to use this metric on relative risk which is comparing um 
it's it's comparing groups in a way that inflates the number a lot. So on the surface level, you have a much higher percentage that it supposedly works for than it does. Um, But that's statistics, right? So you can do that with a lot of different things. You can make things look a lot better than they are. So if I have like a email marketing campaign, let's say, uh, there's a lot of different ways that I could attribute sales to that. I could say anybody that touched this email and then ended up buying a product within seven days, I'm going to count that as a customer for, um, for this email, as opposed to anybody who opened this email, clicked through it and bought using the special link that I gave them. Well, that's a much lower number, but it's probably more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a real picture. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, So there's a lot of ways that you can splice up data to make it look like something's happening that's not. And so um, like Facebook does that. Facebook has further ad campaigns. It can be their attribution is pretty wonky. Google's, from what I understand, is pretty good. So um, just depends on how you attribute the outcomes to Mm -hmm. what's happening. Um, And anyway, you can just do all these uh, numbers games. And yeah, it is really effective marketing because then you can make a claim that it's like the 78% effective. Well, is that 78% effective across a (laughs) population, just a random person off the street or based on how you attributed that. Mm -hmm. And it's usually based on how how it's attributed. So I think that's important to understand is like a lot of these numbers, um, they make it difficult to interpret on purpose because they're using inflated numbers typically. So I just looked up uh, one of the popular drug companies right now, their stock. 2019, it was $19.05 a share. 2021, it was $456.76 a share. If you look at Pfizer... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) go ahead. That was was Moderna. Pfizer's is a little bit more level. Double, still doubled, but... Well, you also have the... And I'm not trying to, like, you know... People can believe what they want to believe. Absolutely. But But do your own research before you just blindly believe something. Well, let's put it this way. So like uh, Pfizer, if you look at their sales on the vaccine and their stock price and you kind of take into account how much money they made due to COVID, they would have been able to, within a 12-month period, fund the entire war in Afghanistan for a 12-month period and still make a profit on it. Like that's how much money, like... Wow. Like just to put that in context, because if I yeah. say a hundred billion dollars, right. that doesn't that means mean nothing money, anymore. But like, yeah. But like if I put it in the that context of yeah, they could have funded the entire yeah. war and still been profitable with the amount of money they were making. That's that's like <laughs> and that's overseas in the Middle East. Like, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that's crazy. Um but I and then the other side of it is like there's no uh fallback for them. So or there's no like there's no consequence. If there's like yeah, there's no consequence. So you can't uh, directly sue them. You can go through like bears and get up to $250,000 if you get an injury, but that's through the government. That's not through Pfizer. Right. So they have no incentive to make a safe vaccine or to, and I'm not saying all vaccines are bad by any means. Like I haven't researched them all or anything like that. So I just, I, I think what I'm trying to point out is like the incentive structures aren't set up in a way that is like, yeah, you're going to put the best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Like it really, if you wanted a good incentive structure, it should be more in line of if you hurt somebody, they can push back as hard as they want. On yeah. You. Um, and 
you know, maybe within some parameters, like you can't uh, take them for all they got, but at least there would be something, some sort of consequence set up. But well, and and digging into that, I a few years ago did some research into that process, how that that uh, liability protection happened, and it really it began, I think, in Europe, in England. Um, but the idea was, well, there's inherent risk in all of this. We can't guarantee that anything's going to be safe, and we won't do it. And we can't afford to do the research if we're going to be held liable for any issues. And so the government's just, I don't know what happened, said, oh, yep, you're good. Yeah, fine. We'll take that on. And I, I don't understand that thought process. I mean, I, I, I'm i in small government here. I'm on our city council in our town. Um, I don't understand what that thought process. What they're saying is they can't make it safe enough to where they're not going to get to where Yeah, to where they're not going to be have an issue. Exactly. And they didn't want to take that risk. why the product risk. shouldn't exist in the first place. Well, I because it, it seems reasonable to come to that conclusion. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because like, um, yeah, if, if uh, I don't know, I just don't think that's, uh, I think that's face value words and an explanation that kind of makes some sense, but on other parameters, I don't think makes a lot of sense because I think, uh, you know, if you're screwing with people's lives, like you should have a degree of accountability to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I do like the idea of like scope of practice in terms of like a practitioner, say, say we know something is 90% effective for, for people. And then there's a relatively small risk for a very small amount of the population, but it's an emergency situation. So we're going to do it. And so as long as that practitioner follows through on what has been proven to, to work, they probably shouldn't have a ton of liability on what happens for that very tiny segment of people. Who should, who should then? Um, I think ultimately there has to be a blend of informed consent. So the patient should understand what they're getting to, if possible, you know, if they're unconscious or something, there, there should be something there, but yeah, but so, someone yeah. should consent, shouldn't they? I mean, well, if you're unconscious, you want yeah, medical right, treatment, right? But, but somebody should be there with you in theory, I guess, unless you're out there alone. But for the most part, there's some, usually there's a party with you. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Yeah, I don't know that there always would be in mm-hmm. all times. I think this is more the outlier situation okay. than what yeah. I'm kind of going into. But yeah, I think, I don't know, in terms of, because there's going to be a segment of the population that just, there's some going to be something that goes wrong yeah. between the procedure or mm-hmm. just that person has a certain biochemistry that is super rare or there's this thing that there's just going to be mistakes made so um i don't on the other side of it i don't think you can flip to the other extreme and say that um everybody is always liable for every medical treatment that's given um to to a degree like there should be some limitations right because that would create bureaucracy that's really tough to get through well Um, and at some point we have to be big kids and accept the responsibility of the risk we take. The issue is if we don't know the risk, and, and that, that's, that, that's the whole informed consent concept. Um, the problem, though, is if there's unknown risk, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, th- this last two years of, of what we were told in the media for what this medical um, intervention for COVID was, uh, we were told, um, don't worry no problems going forward. Um, you can't make that claim and be honest about it. Now, maybe it, maybe it's true. I'm not going to say it's not true necessarily, but you can't make that claim 
and they did. And now we're and so for anyone to be skeptical about medicine today uh, should be the mainstream mindset based on what we were told and and the way they crafted um, how we're supposed to believe the authorities. And yeah, I, I, I think that's dangerous going forward. At the very least, I would think that you would say the vaccine wasn't ideal. Like it didn't give us the desired outcome. Like people still got sick. People still got hospitalized. Um, people got hurt, uh, killed more people than any other vaccine combined in history. Um, well, and, and if we and said that's, that's just not yeah. alternative news, that's from the CDC. Absolutely. Um, and, and if they would all come out, all the talking heads that were the, the authority and say, you know what? We screwed up. I think more and more people would go, okay, great. You guys are at least honest about this. Now, let's work together on something. But now they, they've just come out with this willy-nilly, no, no, it was great. We had no problems. You know, it was perfect. Yeah, that's just politics, right? Well, of like, course uh, it is. <laughs> on the political spectrum, like, of, uh, I would be more, I don't really care what I am. Like, uh, you know, I'm just looking for people that are seem genuine and want to help and like have some decent ideas but like mm-hmm. on the political spectrum i'd be more conservative but like andrew yang was like one of the only candidates that has a real conversation with people and you can real time yeah. see his thinking processes and yep. would be mm-hmm. but he is what the 0.01 percent of politicians that talk like that almost all of them are scripted and going to give a response like that and never mm-hmm. accept responsibility and never say that i did something wrong or i messed up or um, if they did say I messed up, well, I messed up, but at the time, my, the information I had was this. Yes. And so therefore what was it's not I my supposed fault. to do with the information? Yeah. yeah. I mean, WMDs, I remember that. Yeah. You it's know. almost like you're not talking with a real person. You're talking with like a, a machine a that's just not wrong. Yeah. Team, a team <laughs> of talking points. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of sad, like, because yeah. it would be super, um, you can kind of imagine what society would be like if we could have transparency mm-hmm. and genuineness at the forefront of conversations. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I had I had one of our senators from South Dakota on back in August, I think it was. Um, he was here in studio. So it was it was good. It was really cool that I got to have him in the studio and have a conversation for about 45 minutes. Um, but I was very dismayed in his lack of awareness that over the last, you know, since this... <laughs> Vaccine has come out and been distributed worldwide that there have been adverse events. Uh, and I said, well, what about all the people that are, you know, that are documented harmed? And he's like, well, I don't know anything about that. I don't know any of those, those stories. And so I talked to his communications guy uh, afterward. I said, I'm really disappointed that he's not done the research or someone has kept that research from him. That, I mean, n- not to say that, fine. If they decided we this is the route we need to take because we don't know what's happening, so we're panicking, we got to get something out to market, fine. But do some research and at least be willing to look at all sides of it. And that frustrated I mean, me. I mean, yeah, because there's a difference. Like if you, like let's say um, new vaccine, I don't want to tie it up with that one, but let's say it had a 1% adverse rate mm-hmm. and like a... death rate like it would be much better to actually say that and be truthful than to say oh i'm not aware of like any problems like generally and so like the scripted uh political response would be like when you look at the general population 
this is a very pervasive disease and we can cure that. It's going to work great for 99.9%. Or I guess you wouldn't even give a figure like that. You would say something like the majority. It's going to work extremely well for the majority. And it seems to be extremely safe without, you know, really any known um, negative effect on any significant amount of people. And so we have deemed that this is extremely safe. This is verified by health experts and that kind of stuff. Like that's a very different responses to like, hey, so your choice is to take this. Uh, right. These are the upsides of it. Um, just so you know, there is 1% of people that do have an adverse event. So before you get into this, I just want you to be aware that that is a real possibility. It is only 1%, so it's pretty low. Mm -hmm. um, and there is extremely just small um, possibility that you could die from it. But like, from what I'm seeing is it seems to be good for most people to take. And if you want to choose an alternative, that's fine. But this is the option yeah. that I have for you if, if you want to do it. And that would be a much, much different conversation, right? Uh, because then because then that invites questions. Right, <laughs> like which that, they don't want, though. Because that, that's dangerous because questions they don't have answers for at all. In a lot yeah, of maybe. Things. Well, Google. you're also going to get less sales when you talk like that, when you act as a consultant on behalf of the person rather than like trying to sell them. A consultant um, on behalf of the company. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of super tired of all the covid stuff because it's like been I don't know. I don't know what it's like for other people or what your listener base is or we, what even your viewpoints are necessarily. But, man, it's been uh, a whirlwind for a couple of years and. Um, yeah, I've been really disappointed at just how the whole situation was handled on multiple fronts. And it's just, yeah, kind of, it was pretty demoralizing because like you have situations where it seems like, uh, I'm trying to think of, well, I don't know if you saw the recent one by Project Veritas. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, Pfizer essentially said, yeah, we're doing, uh, um, what are they called? Uh, what do they call it? Directed uh, evolution, I think. Yeah, like evolutionary engineering mm -hmm. or something that yeah. like that instead of gain and function. So Let's gain call and it something research. else now. <laughs> yeah. So gain of function research yeah. when you take a um, a disease and you give it attributes to change how it yeah. manifests in people or like how likely it is to spread and that kind of stuff. So. It's research that they usually use for like biological warfare and like that kind of stuff um, and, and maybe studying a little bit, but it's not something that a company like Pfizer should probably should be like heavily regulated right. and it, it is, but like it's really you don't want Pfizer to be doing that. And essentially they said, uh, yeah, we're doing all this stuff to create um, a problem for people with viruses and then we can create a vaccine off of it or something that's going to be profitable. and. It's probably not ideal for the general public, but it's good for us. And, uh, you know, generally okay. Like, it's like, yeah, and that's an interesting perspective to have. And I think the thing there is like the, the person saying those words can be like a genuine heartfelt person, but you have to look at the behavior too. Mm -hmm. Like that is criminal, asinine, psychopathic behavior. <laughs> like, and, and so you can't take people's words at face value i don't know if you've played uh you know did you ever play mafia growing up like the card game yeah yeah so th that game is teaching you how to map correlations in mm -hmm. a social dynamic between what people are saying and what they're doing and so the whole construction of that game is learning 
in these social situations, how to identify people who are for you or against you. We, we kind of throw all that away <laughs> sometimes when it comes to politics, but right. like games like that are actually really good because it's like, yeah, there, there <coughs> is a segment of the population that is not for you. They're in it for their own benefit. And you, you have to work and map up the mm -hmm. stories and cross-check, cross-reference, look at the track record of behavior to identify this person doesn't seem like they're for me. Yeah. You know, and if you were to do that with some of these companies, I think you would find that they're they're not necessarily invested in the best interests of the people. And I'm not saying everything that they've ever produced across a period of time has always been bad by any stretch of the mean. But um on a pretty high level, I think it's it's corrupt. So does this require a conspiracy? I mean, it, you know, that that word CIA created conspiracy theory over the years, but um is in order for that to be the case where they really are nefarious in, in at, at the core, does that require some really dark motive? I mean, it, it, are they really nefarious? I th no, I think it's opportunistic. Like it's a chance <clears throat> for us to make, uh, make hay while the sun shines. Like we have a good chance to make some money right now. So we're going to produce that. I don't think that there's like, you know, uh, conspiracies. I don't even know the definition of that term. Um, <laughs> It's another marketing but, term. It's like, fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so like, I guess you could go all the way to there's a reptilian species pulling the strings and like, <laughs> like, I'm not into that. Okay. No, like, I, that's, that's I don't difficult know. To prove. Like, if that's true, then I'd rather not know it exists. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's right. a limit to how much I want to know. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> like, Correct. Yes. But, um, that being said, I think it's more opportunistic. I don't mm -hmm. think it necessarily is born of how do we uh, fuck these people over. I think it's more born out of um, what can we get out of it? I'm, I'm in a company and my job is to make some money and we can do something that is going to make us more money. I but don't isn't think that really, really from... narrow minded, though? Yeah, of course it is. But it, I don't know how tied you are into the business world, but like, that's super normal. One track mind, money and power. Oh, more cash. Um, is, and this is why, who was it? Exxon is buying back. Is it Exxon? Here, buying, I can give this example. Uh, how many listeners, how many listeners do you have? I can uh, give you a more I, specific example. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to quantify that across all the platforms we're on. I don't know. Okay. Well, if this screws thousands, over, presumably, okay. but who knows? <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, if this uh, gets back to, <laughs> are you in trouble? Uh, no, I won't be in trouble, but like, okay. So there's this, uh, company that's, that's going to buy equipment from us. And I kind of got into this. I need to say this in a way that gives almost zero detail. Mm -hmm. So there's a company that I know of that um, I basically befriended the some of the people within it. So the woman that's got us in, she's a real sweetheart, really amazing woman, um, very philanthropic, actually has people's best interests at heart. There's two other guys in the company that um, they just seem to like me. I have something that's good for them, and I have really no recourse to get them in trouble. So they tell me a lot of stuff that they probably shouldn't. Um, but they're running a health company and it's pretty big. Um, and they have a, they got bought out by a corporation above them that owns, I think 29 companies in its portfolio. And so I went out to dinner with these guys, went out to dinner with the CEO of the corporation above them and they're all friends and we're having a good time and doing that kind of stuff. 
Well, I find out like a month later because I go out to lunch with this guy. I go down to Phoenix and have lunch with him and hang out with them for a little bit. And he's just kind of telling me all this stuff to to brag a little bit, probably to, you know, feel good about himself. But he's also just kind of an open guy. He's somewhat of I think the reason he's doing it is he's a thrill seeker because he's if he's not a billionaire, he's pretty close to it. Um, and so what they're doing is they are bringing in this private equity firm. Um, that has a lot of money in it, right? And the the two guys, the one guy that's telling me is outside of the company. And then there's another guy inside the company that's the CEO of the company that was bought out by the big one. And they're going to move around shares to create an exposure so they can do a corporate takeover of the entire thing, um, which is highly illegal. <laughs> um, huh. So it's like insider training. But like yeah. that's super, like there's no reason for him to do that from mm -hmm. a fulfillment um perspective or like i'm doing good for humanity the only thinking and he's already super rich mm. like he has no need for money for the rest of his life or his kids lives or his grandkids lives so it's like, just the next the next need. hurdle basically the next i asked him why and he's like just to pull it off man makes me a winner and that that's that's the attitude <clears throat> that is um really common like i i wouldn't say i know a ton of billionaires i've talked to a few um he's uh, him and um uh one other guy are ones that i would consider myself like he's not a friend so much more of a you know somebody that i'm a pure colleague or whatever mm -hmm. um i'm not on his level by the way <laughs> but oh, darn it. <laughs> uh, as far as money and i don't want to be um if that's what it takes but and then there's another guy who's uh he said he be a billionaire in a few years and he's a good friend and genuinely wants to help people mm. and is like actually a good person mm -hmm. um but like I, I don't know i know hundreds of people that are multi-millionaires between 10 and 100 million um and there's people all over that space some are really good and some want to do good things and other people their entire self-worth and value um, or thrill what they get out of the world is tied up in what they can do in business and how much money they can make, how much power they can have, or just doing something like this guy. He's basically doing it for fun. So it, is it all just self-aggrandizing? Like, did, hey, check me out. I'm awesome. Um, well, this guy is from another country that was war-torn, and he grew up in a war-torn <laughs> environment. And yeah. so his um, look at the world is very different. Mm -hmm. And I think for him... Yeah, it makes him a winner in his mind. Um, he likes that competitive side. Um, he has really nothing to play with because uh, he doesn't get. I asked him, uh, "Do you do you uh, think about fulfillment in life or anything like like?" Or it was something to the essence of that. I can't remember. And he, he was like, "I don't think about that. It doesn't really matter." Wow. <laughs> like, so then, what's the point uh, at that point? Yeah, wow. I mean, and I'm not saying everybody's like this or every business owner. There's a lot of amazing business business owners mm -hmm. and rich people who have very good intentions and are very good people. But again, going back to that example of mafia, you're trying to figure out who's for you and who's against you. Yeah. And there's a segment of people that are not interested in what you have or they're not interested in <laughs> yeah. anything other than what they can get out of you. That's interesting, too. The uh, thinking of politics a little bit. Uh, I have a the friend who has consulted me in my very, very small election I won last year. Um, and there's there's things I on the council that I'm trying to 
open up transparency to the public. There's a lot of things that we're trying to get done. Um, and so I was talking to my consultant, um, and he does this for a living. So it's, I mean, he, it is his, his brainchild and his wheelhouse. He's good at it. But <clears throat> he said we were, there was something going on in the house, the U.S. house at that time. Uh, and I, I was talking about proposing a big change with something that we are doing in town. And, you know, I, I really want this to stop. And so he said, look, look over there. He said, look at that vote that's happening in the House. He said, Nancy Pelosi never allows a vote to come up for a vote until she knows the outcome. So it's all theater at that point. And so, yeah, you have this vote, you have this system, but it's a it, it's a show vote because you're never going to get the answer you don't want when you know the outcome. And that's all marketing. It's all just smoke and mirrors at that point. And it's possible that in the corporate world, it's the same product. They only show what they want you to see. Yeah. I think marketing too, I I think marketing is actually a good thing um, in terms of like, I don't think it can just be used exclusively as a bad word, as a negative. Oh No, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's necessary. yeah, but I think there's ethics involved. And so I would say it's more than marketing. It's a moral uh, or ethical uh, dilemma that yeah these people are facing. Yeah, and on the subject of Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's like <laughs> twice as effective investing as like Warren Buffett. No, she's not. That is purely coincidence. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> you know like uh, well our track record i mean how do you get a politician worth over 200 million dollars that makes on a two hundred thousand dollar salary exactly yeah, yeah. and so <clears throat> yeah that's it, it's disgusting that that's where we're at um however i don't want to burn up this whole show on politics because uh last october i was i met uh my wife and i had co- coffee with a friend in fredericksburg texas and she was telling us about um, a thyroid condition she had and that it's gone now. And she said she goes and gets ozone put in her blood regularly and talk through that process. And it was fascinating. And then as I dig through your bio, um, you have some expertise in the ozone world. What in the world is that? Oh, I didn't I'm know intrigued. you knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, ozone is a gas, mm-hmm. and people usually have these stigmas about it that it's ooh, bad. Oh, hold um, on. How how old are you? I'm 29. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you probably don't remember um, the hole in the ozone layer that we were creating by using aerosol hairspray. You remember that at all? Or were you, you probably weren't even born yet? I know of it. I mean... <laughs> when we were like kids, it, it was a big deal. If you used hairspray, you were burning a hole in the ozone layer. So that's most people's thought of ozone. Yeah, right. So like, or as a pollutant. So if you live yeah. in a big city, mm-hmm. um, people they'll say like the ozone level is such and such. It's usually associated with a negative thing. And there's a good reason for that because you can't actually breathe ozone. Um, it's pretty much the only thing you can't do with it. Uh, so we have to breathe oxygen every day, yeah. right? That's how we, we're aerobic beings. That's how we live. So our lungs don't have something called an antioxidant buffering system. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't protect against oxidants uh, because we need to be able to breathe oxygen to be able to metabolize. I mean, we're aerobic at a very fundamental level. So ozone being a very strong oxidant going into the lungs causes irritation. And if you have prolonged exposure, um, like years on end, so they they did some studies on like the giant laundromats that are running ozone constantly just into the air. And it it does cause problems. Like it's it's not good for people. A laundromat? Um, 
Yeah, like commercial size, not like uh, not like ones that you'll go down to and put some quarters into, but like uh, they're doing like commercial laundromat stuff. But, so they're, I mean, they're why would there be more like ozone hotels. in that facility? Because uh, they're using the ozone as a purification oh, agent okay, for uh, like bedding or whatever it is. Um, okay. And so there's more ambient ozone in mm -hmm. the air um, in a pretty high level. So it would cause issues with people there. So there's a there's a lot of knowledge and scientific literature on uh, ozone's effect on the lungs. Um, but turns out you can use oxidants in other parts of the body that have an antioxidant buffering system, such as the blood. Uh, the colon, the vagina, uh, even onto the skin and into the ears, there's antioxidant buffering systems present there. So they have protective capabilities against oxidants. Um, and so when you take something like um, ozone and you put it into the blood, um, it's actually extremely safe to use because the blood can protect against the oxidizing potential of it. And then what you get from there is you get a cascade of benefits from it. So it works with like immune modulation, oxygen efficiency, microcirculation, and mitigation of oxidative, chronic oxidative stress. What's the um, risk? So, um, the risk is typically you get a, like if somebody has a burdened immune system, mm -hmm. um, and so that means they have a lot of bad bugs floating around in their body and their immune system isn't dealing with it. So you see that in severe infections or like chronic infections, that kind of thing, their, their immune system is compromised, immunosuppressed. Um, and if you give them ozone, well, that ticks up the immune system and it starts to kill off all these bugs, which releases a bunch of endotoxins. And well, the, there's a net positive there in that you can um, get rid of the bugs. It can create flu-like symptoms for like up to a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So usually a practitioner that's working with it will address some of the stuff to get, make sure that they can, um, get the immune system up a little ways and just kind of keep on stepping it up. So you don't get a full bore Herxheimer reaction and get really sick from it. Um, other thing, side effects of it would be like, uh, fatigue. Some people can get fatigue. So if they have something called G6PD deficiency, they have a lower tolerance threshold for, um, oxidative stress. And so when you introduce, uh, like hyperbaric oxygen or vitamin C, um, at high levels, it turns into an oxidant or, um, ozone therapy, you can, uh, it basically tire them out, make them pretty fatigued. And that does go away. But if you're continually dosing it there, you're going to fatigue them out, uh, fatigue the adrenals and that kind of stuff. And that can be a harder thing to get out of. Um, but usually what a practitioner does rather than test for G6PD deficiency is there's telltales. Um, and since it's acute, meaning that it's not a, as long as you're not just dosing them constantly mm -hmm. when they have this deficiency, like you're going to notice if they're fatigued, um, like just by questionnaire. And so you can mess with the dosing too. And since their tolerance threshold is lower, they can just take a lower dose, um, and still get a positive result. Um, other things would be like heart instability, heart attack, anemia, blood clotting issues, can't do it with it improves circulation in some of those parameters. So you're uh, stimulating blood flow and usually people with heart instability um, or a prescription blood thinners already have thin blood because they're on those things. So you can't add to that. And it's like adding fuel to the fire. Mm. Um, so it doesn't help, you know, not something you would want to do in those circumstances. Um, let's see, what would be some of the other other risks associated with it. Um, that's, those are the big ones I'd say. I mean, heparin, when they pull out the blood, they have to put in a drug called heparin and that has its own side effects as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, a, but overall it's extremely safe. Um, I would put it in. So out of, 
six out of 100,000 cases. They did a study on over 300,000 IV ozone treatment. There's over 2,500 medical studies on it, by the way. So it's not like really? this. Uh, so it's not unknown. Thing. It's, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's been around for a while. It's approved in over 20 countries. Um, it did make it through FDA safety standards at one point, but this company that was funding the thing wasn't going to get the money they wanted out of it. So they pulled the funding and it collapsed, but it did make it through the safety standards of the FDA. Um, and even though it's not FDA approved, but yeah, it's, it's, there's probably over 20, 25,000 doctors in the United States that administer on a regular basis right now. And then worldwide there's hundreds of thousands. So is, so is this something that the majority of people that are relatively healthy could like, could walk in and do with no, like, and, and see benefit? Yeah. I mean, like, um, let's say you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, so athletic performance is kind of what you're going for. Uh, there was a study I was going through some of this literature recently, but they were raising anaerobic threshold by 28% and 72% of the athletes. Really? Um, so what that means is like, if you're a soccer player, let's say, um, you're playing soccer, you're playing for, I don't know, hour and a half, or I don't know how long the games are, but you're playing for an hour <laughs> and a half. <laughs> and at some point, um, your body, is incapable of using the oxygen to create energy. So it switches to an anaerobic energy production mm -hmm. system, which is much less efficient. So that's when you have a lot of lactic acid buildup. And when you really start to fatigue, it's when you push into this anaerobic. And anaerobic training is great, by the way. Like I, I'm a huge fan of it. I'm just saying like for the purpose of stamina sports, it's oh, good. Right. Um, because you are prolonging the point by like 28%. So if it's an hour now you can go an hour and 20 minutes before you reach that mm -hmm. significant fatigue that you would get um and so you can you essentially don't fatigue out nearly as quickly um also raises vo2 max uh by 14 percent um which is your ability to draw in and utilize oxygen um so it's really good from that perspective so yeah uh, i mean we're working with some franchises it'll be um pretty soon Regardless of where you're at, you'll be able to call somebody on an, or pull up an app, get somebody to come and give you one. It'll be it's already in every city, but it'll be all over the place within the next five years. Um, just we're working with franchises that have thousands of locations and it'll be all. Is over. it all so, IV administered or is there other methods? No, there's there's a lot of different ways to use it because it's it's really versatile. So it can, um, like I said, the ears, the colon, the vagina. Um, onto the skin. It just depends on what the issue the person is facing. So in the case of like putting it into the colon, which not glamorous, but hey, it works. <laughs> uh, you you actually get those same results of like anaerobic threshold and uh, really? oxygen efficiency and that kind of stuff. So uh, that's what I do because you can do it in under a few minutes a day and um, works pretty good. So, uh, but at any rate, yeah, that, that would also be helpful for in the case of like dysbiosis. So if somebody has a imbalanced gut microbiome, mm -hmm. which also has associations to your brain, it has very right. big health implications, your ability to uh, create nutrition from your food and all that kind of stuff. So your microbiome is super important. Um, and with uh, a lot of the diet today, the standard American diet of like lots of oils, lots of fats, lots of sugars that are not good for you, it can mess with that microbiome that is intended to be like produce like fruits and vegetables and meats right um but uh people can get into a state where they just can't get it back into balance and so there was a study done where they did the into the colon the ozone gas and it's just a small amount so it's not like a irrigation or anything <laughs> like that 
Um, and uh, I think it was 72% of the case, or excuse me, 78% of the cases had remediation of dysbiosis by doing that, which really? is pretty cool. So uh, yeah, just depending on what the issue is, you can work with different, um, different mechanisms to, to introduce it to the body. Wow. So you're clearly young and driven. What got you into this thought process? How did you start going down this road of more of a natural health? Yeah, world? well, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Mercy Ships. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do when really? I was a kid. Is I wanted to, yeah, so it's like uh, philanthropic. So mm -hmm. essentially it's a giant... It's not a cruise ship, but big think hospital, of a big right. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. it, that's geared out to be a hospital and it ports at different cities around the world to provide uh, medical um, attention to those that need it. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. And so my thought process in that is um, the path I was going to take just because I kind of wanted to get a good scope of things is um, EMT, nursing school and then doctor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was smart, but the, in my brain, that's what I wanted to do. And so how, how old are you making this decision? Oh, I mean, I wanted to do that like, pretty young, so like yeah. at 13. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I followed through like everything I did. Um, I spent a lot of time just like I even went to a Bible school just to get kind of a better um, insight into mm -hmm. like culture and language acquisition and that kind of stuff. Um, and that was, you know, and then I ended up going through nursing school and, and that kind of stuff. But so something happened in the middle of all that, though, which was my brother had brain cancer. He had a glioblastoma in a rare form of it. And um, older, or younger, it, it, older. Okay. Yep. So a bit older than me. And um, he was going through the Johns Hopkins medical system and they were essentially lived beyond what they knew what to do with. So he got past uh, the markers really? that most people live for. Yeah, which which is great. I don't know if that was because of the treatments he was doing or because of just his constitution yeah. was good or what it was or the cancer or who knows. But um, but what ended up happening is they said, hey, we don't really know what to do with you. But at this point, there's not really anything in our scope that we can provide because we've done everything we know to do. So we can move into experiments. So let's give that a try. Um, so experiments include. So they could only do experiments after they tried everything else. You know, I'm not sure at what point they would normally introduce that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's Johns Hopkins, so they do a lot of studies right. and uh, research and that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure to what degree or where they usually would introduce that. But if they have somebody living longer and they already tried all the things, what are you going to do? You're going to say like, uh, go home exactly. and die. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you know, so you, you're the guy that has the solution. So mm -hmm. you have to have the solution. And so experiments included open brain surgeries. Um, there was one drug in particular that was a chemotherapy and, um, it only worked on certain people based on the literature that they had at the time, uh, which was limited, but it only worked on certain people, uh, with a specific genotype, which, which turned to be, turned out to be 13% of the general population. Well, they didn't bother testing them for that genotype. They just gave them the chemotherapy drug. So it kind of started to mess with you a little bit being like, and he had lost a lot of his critical brain thinking processes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, he did, I, I can't remember if it was seven or nine, but open brain surgeries. Oh, um, yeah. And so, you know, his ability to like read and really think mm -hmm. deeply, and he was a really intelligent person was like 
greatly diminished um, and to retain and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff greatly diminished. And so kind of le- just left you without a lot of confidence in where that was going. And so it was just like, well, it, you know, I'm not just going to sit by and watch this happen. So, you know, take a little bit of responsibility to try to figure out if there's anything else out there. And uh, that opens up a whole world once you start going on that thought process, <laughs> uh, which is cool. Like, I, I'm not saying like I'm, you know, anything that is not in the hospitals or in the conventional system is automatically alternative, even though, even if it is a drug or even if it is shouldn't be considered alternative. Yeah. Alternative is just anything that isn't like FDA approved, essentially. And so you can have things that are actually helpful for people that are actually non-toxic that have benefits to them that just don't fit into this rigid box that has been set up by the FDA. So I think just understanding that can be helpful because it is a pretty rigid box. Like the bureaucracy to get through the FDA is really tight. Um, It's really expensive. And I'm not saying that all that stuff shouldn't be there, but imagine a drug, let's just make one up, but imagine a a drug or a supplement or whatever uh, you want to imagine it is. Maybe it's a meal cooked in a certain way we're just making this <laughs> yeah. um but it only cost you one cent to take and it cured a disease Do you, it's not going to make it through the fda because um you can't make any money like right. how are you going to millions of dollars to get through the bureaucracy of the fda to get that approved right with no return Unless yeah. somebody has a good heart and wants to push that through and they happen to come across this thing which is also going to be really hard to market because it doesn't make any money to market you you basically have to by chance stumble across and that's totally made up by the way there's nothing out there that like that that's just going to cure something for one cent but maybe well, maybe there is <laughs> <laughs> um but you know it's it's few and far between so hmm. like i think the the basic point though is there's this very rigid system that's very expensive and bureaucratic and there's probably stuff outside of it that works and so then it became the adventure of finding mm-hmm. well what else is out there that that can work and be helpful for people and so down that rabbit hole came across ultraviolet buttery radiation, helpful for like sepsis and severe infections. It's where they pull out some blood, run it past ultraviolet light and put it back into the body. Um, and so then they're cleaning it essentially. That basically works by um, if there's a I've been told this is an oversimplified way to explain it. But if there's like a virus in the body, mm-hmm. the UV light breaks it down and it goes back into the, to the body is kind of like an auto vaccine that your own body created. So it. it can be pretty effective from that standpoint. Um, and then I got into ozone therapy, um, started working with like, there was a ton of literature out there, but it was all over the place. So if you wanted to find out what's, what's the deal with ozone and cancer, there was no way to search that or find out unless you wanted to read a hundred studies. And so I took it upon myself just to be like, well, I can do a lot of reading and I can condense that into articles that are going to be helpful for people. And so I started to create an email list and send it out to practitioners and I would cite everything, you know, here's Mm -hmm. what's happening. And here's like the, the synopsis of where the literature is at on this certain indication and that kind of stuff. And that actually got me quite a bit of traction in terms of, um, people knowing who I was in that space, right? It's still a really small space, but in that space. And then I Any started pushback? to equipment and dropped out of nursing school because um, worked really well. And then that took me away from the concept of mercy ships because I was like, well, I am making money on this, but 
Oh, I'm so also you are doing something I really like to do. And it turns out I like, I like the business side of things. It's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of entrepreneurial, I guess, but, um, and I think it's genuinely helping people, which is ultimately like, I think I can serve the world better in this capacity than I can, uh, doing mercy ships at this point. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. What pushback have you received? If any <clears throat> pushback, yeah, um, like you stop at your yeah, quack, we'll say like, do you hear that from people? Not if they know me. Well, obviously, but <laughs> I mean, like, you know, because you're going out and you're presenting information that is alternative. Yeah. So um, that's not typically accepted, is it? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really like if I have the chance to actually discuss with somebody like it, let's say you came into this conversation assuming mm -hmm. that ozone was bad and you have prepared some stuff to back it up well then we would have a discussion based on literature right and so i'd be yep. able to present some stuff and um as long as you weren't just like paradigm driven and just being like i'm just here to prove this guy wrong but i'm actually genuinely curious and i think that it's bad because of x mm -hmm. y and z well that's a really productive place to start and um i've never had one of those conversations go bad um or like left feeling like i was a uh, attacked or anything it's usually just a um all the information isn't out there. So once you get to present all the information mm -hmm. and if they're genuinely open to uh, going through that, it's pretty good. But um, yeah, pushback, I don't know. It's more like social media, I would say. <laughs> um, Trolls. Yeah, like uh, it's not, it, it really hasn't been super hard or bad, but like, I don't know. I just kind of assume that as you're putting stuff out, people will just shit on you and be like, you're retarded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so it doesn't bother me when people yeah. are, uh, you know, rude or mean or anything like that online. Um, but in person, like genuine conversation, you get a little bit of pushback. But I think once if you have a chance for a conversation, it's usually pretty productive. And um, I'm also not going out of my way to explain this to people who are taking their 12th booster and saying Pfizer is the savior of the world, you know? So like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of just tend to stay away from there's yeah. levels of, you know, right. So mm -hmm. there's, there's levels of thinking that I just want to attract people who are uh, willing to have a discussion or at least contemplate some of the resources out there. And if I can put this out before them and they're genuinely still think they're not interested in it, that's, mm -hmm. that's fine with me. Like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say there's been like a ton of pushback. Um, so did you is simply Oh three that's your, is that your company? Mm -hmm. Uh, is it your, like you started it? This is your brainchild. Yep. Is yeah. it going well? Yeah, it's going good. Um, I really enjoy the work. Yeah. I mean, I started with a couple thousand dollars and just uh, putting machines together and that kind of stuff and worked with an engineer that was a friend and uh, so helped solve you're, some problems. You're selling machines? You've created machines for this thing? Not anymore. Now we're doing contract manufacturing. Mm. So, um, But yeah, initially I was actually making stuff. Really? Mm -hmm. oh, so you're no dummy. That's cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, did you grow up in the Midwest? Are you from? Yeah, I grew Michigan? up in a kind of between the cornfield and the woods uh, in Michigan. <laughs> so out in the country. And your wife's from Washington. Yeah, yeah. So yep. she's 
Olympic Peninsula area. You have children's? Four. Hey, so do I. How about that? You started younger than me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's wild. It's busy. It's all, all the good things. Yes. Um, What do you do for fun? Like when you're not sitting in a cold bath? Oh, man, I really love my job. So yeah. like for me, it's a lot of fun. Um, like I was working, I'm going to be speaking at an event. And so I was working on a presentation and um, I gave myself... I think a few hours to do the slide sets or something like that, just to make them up based on like ones I've done in the past. Yeah. Right. But maybe with some new information, well, I start getting into literature and start reading and I'm six hours in and haven't done a single slide because <laughs> I'm just learning new stuff, you know? Um, so like, I really enjoy my job mm -hmm. from that standpoint. Like it's intellectually engaging to always learn new stuff on mm -hmm. the topic. Um, and then, uh, the people I work with, I really like to work with, um, but for fun, uh, I like to work out. I like to be with family. Um, you know, since we're in Florida right now, go to the beach, that kind of thing. Uh, play sports if I had the chance to. I, you know, been kind of too busy for that. So most of my time is consumed between work and just spending time with family and then trying to meet up with other people in our community as much mm -hmm. as possible. So we spend a lot of time traveling um, and doing that kind of thing, too. So we're actually only in Michigan like seven months of the year. Wow. So do you, as a family, do you guys travel about? Yeah. So we're in Florida right now for a month because um, I have some family down here. So we're spending time with them. Um, so would that assume that you, if your children are old enough, do you homeschool them? Next year. Really? Uh, I mean, we kind of do a hybrid right now. So they mm -hmm. go to a, a school and then they are pretty lenient. So they allow us to take them out and just do homeschooling while they're away. As they should. I mean, they're your kids for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah so next year we'll be doing uh all homeschool though is kind of the plan and even that is a little bit of a hybrid because we'll have a tutor that is helping with uh just just helping out because mm -hmm. we got um they're eight six three and one so you know your attention gets yep. spread out between mm -hmm. the kids and so it, you don't want to you know I, I think some support in that can be helpful yeah with them that close absolutely yeah we we've homeschooled for the last Jeez. Our oldest is 16 and he, he was, I think he went through first grade in public school and they were like, that's enough. So yeah. Nice. So yeah. It's a, it's certainly a challenge. I think my wife would say it's much more of a challenge than I say just because <laughs> she's the one that does the most of do it. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it, it's so rewarding and the ability to just go if you need to is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. And just, uh, I was talking with somebody recently that said they did, uh, child led homeschooling, which is basically just focusing on their strengths and yep. interests. Um, which I think is awesome because it's like, well, that's life. I think, I think focusing on weaknesses is not all the time. Like there's certain things like math, reading, writing, like you gotta be decent and all of those. Right, you need and to my, understand them. My, <laughs> yeah, but I think focusing on weaknesses because it's a weakness is mostly a waste of time. Yeah, but like, see, especially if you're not yeah. interested in it. If you learn how to do, you know, basic to mid-level math, you know, you got to be able to balance a book, um, and then you learn how to read well. You don't need anything else. Now you learn everything else, but those are the two fundamental skills that you need because in that is the world. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, and I would say like getting to know statistics is increasingly important and yeah. some advanced math, you know, if you're totally. getting into com yep. computer stuff can be really helpful, but that should be based on your interest. Like if you want right. to get into yeah. uh, Calc 2 for whatever, some computer stuff, like great. Um, but I would never push a kid through Calc 2 just, just because. because I yeah. feel like they need to understand it and right. it's a weakness of theirs. Therefore, you must force it. Like, mm -hmm. I think time is much better spent uh, focusing on strengths and interests because that's where your productivity is going to be. So, um, yeah. like, I don't know. A lot of people that are really good at what they do are incredibly imbalanced in their knowledge. Like, they have domain knowledge in specific areas and like that suck is, at other that ones. That is a fascinating point. I hadn't really considered that, but you're right. When you're singularly focused like that, you get to be really good. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, a principle of execution. Yeah. So like if you have a piece of paper and you take all five uh, fingers and try to punch a hole through it, it's harder than if you take one finger mm -hmm. and just punch a hole through it. So it's like focus um, delivers on execution. Yeah. So you are on the uh, social media, Instagram at Micah for Health. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been doing that for a year now. Yeah. Um, what, what's what's kinda... the main avenue that people can follow you, find out what? Uh, uh, probably that. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, if you go to my website and opt in for a guide at the top, it'll get on our email system. I, I used to be doing all the emails. Now somebody else is, but they're kind of taking up the writing I did. Mm -hmm. And that used to be like kind of my pride is kind of the email stuff. Cause it was always like just trying to deliver good, valuable information, but that's not bad. I mean, that's, that's decent too. Um, if you just want to see like kind of some of the stuff I do more from the inside, um, it's a little bit more personable. Um, and then Instagram, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's a, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's a funky format. Yeah. Um, I really like stuff like this where it's just more of a conversation in long form mm -hmm. and we can, kind of just talk about things like I, I think that's the best way to get well, to know somebody yeah but. you totally do and then you can understand who people really are because then it's you know you have a five minute hit on tv or you know just a quick passing on the street you don't know someone you know what they think about that one thing but you don't know them yeah and the so yeah it's a tough format for me the social media like how do i deliver value in 30 seconds is like um not native to me because i'm not like a great storyteller um, I'm more, I tend to be like, cause I come from writing, which mm -hmm. is more like factual incited and like kind of slow. Right. And so I just haven't developed like good storytelling skills and things that are like engaging from that standpoint, but I try to do my best in delivering, um, information in an interesting way. And I think I'm still figuring it out. So I'll, I'll probably be a lot better at it in two years from now. So I saw one thing that you did, you built a teepee outside in the cold and burned fire <laughs> yeah, what, what did, did you go I hang out a little flack back. really huh? <laughs> i did get a little flack for that no are you serious yeah yeah i think it's just cool you know totally have, uh, it's useful native american, native american friends and whatnot and they think it's cool too <laughs> like one game over he's like dude i want one of these <laughs> like yeah they're freaking sweet yeah i don't see the problem but um yeah, people are kind of sensitive. So um, I, I, I've i been a little bit more because when I first posted that video, like I think my highest video was like 80,000 views and that yeah. got 3.3 million. So I've been a little <laughs> bit more wary to post the teepee uh, mm. and get like canceled or something. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it is a lot of fun. And really, the 
the concept behind it is not because I wanted a teepee. It's because isn't uh, it a I very really useful like... structure? Like it's about it, it, for doing what you sure. wanted to do. I don't live in it. No, so I know it's but... not functional from really that perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, you can have open fires, you can mm-hmm. sleep in there and that kind of stuff. And so the concept for me is like investing into things that are going to help to develop relationships or other people enjoy. And so a lot of the stuff I buy is more geared around that. So like the teepee was like a way for me to have a little backyard tent with the kids that's unique and they can have their friends over and play in it. Um, or I can do like camp outs with my kids and just enjoy some time with them and do something that feels kind of unique and fun. And it could have just been a tent too, but you know, go big or go home. So we <laughs> went with like a 30 foot teepee or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah that's what i like about it is just uh the opportunity to invest in relationships with people mm-hmm. and what you can get out of things from that standpoint so i cannot believe that you got blowback for that that's ludicrous you can't believe that <laughs> well well i can but i i can't you know i i know it, this stuff happens but it's yeah, outrageous I, that it would have happened i guess i don't know like Obviously, like I, I haven't committed any atrocities, but like there's <laughs> yet. Um, that's a that's a complicated discussion, I think, because it's like yeah, there's obviously atrocities committed uh, throughout history, mm-hmm. but um, and if somebody is doing something to, I don't know, just to intentionally put down another group of people like it's super easy to do everybody just has that like tribalistic standpoint like it's a really easy thing just to say you're not you don't look like me you don't uh, mm-hmm. operate like me so you're different and therefore i'm just going to put you down it's i think it's super stupid it's stupid but, that, but but if someone wants to be stupid shouldn't they be allowed to be we, yeah we, we don't 100%. have to we don't have to agree with them or acknowledge them but i mean shouldn't they well, have the, and I know, the right I don't think I'm doing it in a way that's uh, trying to exploit anybody. Um, if anything, I'm doing it in a way that's trying to build some relationships. And then I, I actually have talked with the company that um, I didn't build it. Um, so I bought the canvas from a company that makes them mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, get a little bit of time to educate myself on uh, just some Native American stuff and makes me more interested in it. So if, I think if anything, it um, has increased my education from there. But uh yeah, I don't know. I, I think cultural appropriation in general is like it's keeping people like if you're saying you are culturally appropriating one, I think it's a heart matter. It's like, what is the person's intentions for um, for uh, displaying themselves in this way? Like if they're intentionally trying to do something negative, they should be allowed to. But yeah, it's annoying. I get it. Um but I, I think it just keeps people it, like it gives power to all those stereotypes and all those um, race issues that have popped up over the last couple of years by just trying to keep people in their specific category. It's That's like, really what it seems like is it's, you know, we don't want yeah. unity. We, we prefer, you know, separation. And that feels like yeah. it goes against what they actually are wanting to say. But it goes, yeah. it goes back to the, the game. What are they saying? What are they doing? Yeah. And it's probably an area that I just haven't thought about as much like in healthcare. I've thought about it a lot. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's like, you know, there's a lot of lies are embedded in half truths. 
So I think that's the thing that I'm a little bit wary about in that regard is like, yeah, there's probably some things to be a little bit more cautious of in terms of like just being a genuinely polite person and you should be allowed to be an asshole if you want to be. (laughs) But, uh, but, um, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, what's the point of us just trying to keep this segregation and trying to keep people out from understanding your own culture and that kind of stuff is like, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's bonkers, but I don't know. I, anyway, uh, I have a giant yeah. TP in my backyard, so you can kind of tell how much I think about that. <laughs> and it looks cool. It made me go, man, that'd be so sweet. I've got plenty of room on my yard to do that. You, but, can, uh, you can make them. Cool. I mean, the poles are relatively... Did you say it's 30 feet tall? Uh, it's 28 feet diameter. Holy it's almost 400 square feet inside. And then the poles, I think, are yeah, 29 feet, 32 wow. feet, something like that. So it's it's big. Um how did you and get up there to hook the top pit bit together? It's like, <laughs> actually, it, it was like a six-hour process. Um, but if you knew exactly what you were doing mm-hmm. with two people, it would probably take an hour and a half to wow. set the whole thing up. So it's really not that hard. Um, basically, you lay all these poles in a certain way, and there's three poles that are the structure of it that hold everything together. Mm-hmm. And those have a rope tied around them. And those are like planted. They're a little bit bigger and all that kind of stuff. And then you lay the other poles in a certain sequence uh, for the thing. And then with the canvas, it's the last pole that goes on. So you tie the canvas around this pole and then you hoist it up into the back, which was extremely difficult. Oh, man. <laughs> it's me, another guy stronger than me. And I, I'm relatively strong, you know, like I'm not like crazy, but like I can deadlift over 400 pounds and squat oh, like geez. probably close yeah. to 400 or I don't know what my numbers are anymore, but I'm not like super weak. Right. And it was really <laughs> hard to get up because uh, the the canvas is about 100 and uh, I think it's 151 pounds. And then that's just placed over 30 feet. Right. So you have this like wow. big shaky pole <laughs> you're trying to get up. And so I'd recommend four people for that. Wow. Um, but we did get it up. And then you just take the canvas, you spread it out along the other poles, and then you kind of shake it to get like mm-hmm. wrinkles down. And yeah, it's, it's a process, but it really wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. So now uh, that it's up, is it staying up? Yeah, I mean, you I could mean, pull it down uh, probably in the same, like in an hour and a half. And I, I just have to move it to another spot. So I have it in a temporary spot right now. And then I'm going to move it um, at some point this summer to more of a permanent spot. Um, I'm just going to get some like, uh, not crushed asphalt, but just some like fine gravel mm-hmm. and then pack it down and then put it on the gravel. Okay. Um, as opposed to just having it because uh, I'm doing some stuff in the backyard just to make it nicer. I was also considering because we have a big clay deposit on our property, potentially trying to make a sauna um, Ooh, like in the, the ground. Clay de- um, I wasn't thinking in the ground. I was thinking of I've never worked with clay mm-hmm. or what it would take to build a big structure out of clay. So I could just get into it and find that's totally not worth doing <laughs> but i thought it'd be cool to build like an actual clay sauna oh, that'd be sweet. Um, on the property as yeah. well you have plenty going on so uh i appreciate you taking some time out of your day to help me understand you a little bit more and it's absolutely fascinating so thank you very yeah much. i i appreciate it man just uh jumping on here and doing a podcast and uh having more of a conversation yeah. like i said it's like, cause usually when I do a podcast, it's super scripted. So, and they're just trying to mine information within 30 minutes. Mm. Um, and I've done a lot of those. So it's like, 
how'd you get into this? Blah, blah, blah. Like, right. and just like a series of questions mm-hmm. that I know what it's. So if somebody sends me the questions before a podcast, I know I'm not going to enjoy it. Like, yeah, I've had, <laughs> I've had one person ask for that. And I said, actually, the questions that I know I'm going to ask are, what's your name and why do you do what you do? Other than that, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I think you just yeah. get so much more, you get so much better information mm-hmm. and yeah, I well, appreciate well, it. It's a more, it's a more listenable conversation as well, I think. Yeah. Like you're in the room with them, yeah. which is what I want to hear. And like, what mm-hmm. makes the, uh, what are the wheels that are turning in that guy's head rather than the script that's going to come out <laughs> Right, is what I want to know. Uh, I have one other thought that I wrote down and didn't touch on yet. Um, so I did as we were talking, um, you talk about <clears throat> food. Is our current food pyramid um, inaccurate? Is that like a rhetorical question or a genuine? <laughs> I, want, I want your thoughts on the current structure of our diet in America. Okay, so uh, grains and that kind of stuff. So, well, let's put it this way. There was some new guidelines put out that said Honey Nut Cheerios are better than ground than beef. <laughs> right. Better yeah. than eggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, why is that, that, um, they would classify something that is full of seed oils, which are really harmful for health that cause oxidation in the skin and turn to chronic oxidative stress and has a bunch of added sugar in it. And it's, uh, processed with like chemicals and that kind of stuff. Well, um, the people, so are we getting back to profit motive again? (sighs) I mean, where did you always see that food pyramid? It was on the cereal boxes. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it's essentially the the guys that are selling you the product, telling you like, oh, this is the most healthy thing you can do is eat this, mm-hmm. eat this product heart, and you need to eat more healthy. of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, you can just kind of look at chronic disease and where it's at and the general, like most people in the United States are not in great health from a physical standpoint and i'm not like blaming anybody or anything like that i understand it's very difficult to eat healthy um again one of those things that's simple but not easy right because of accessibility and just all those kinds of things and how you were raised may have not been in line with like healthy food and all that kind of stuff but yeah i think it's pretty backwards so i mean my take on diet is seasonally available if possible um diverse produce um so like fruits and vegetables and meats uh ideally and i'm not the i'm not a perfect guy in this by any regards i just think like 80 10 10 so 80 percent of the time be eating like something you kill or something you grow um and then 10 percent uh eat okay maybe with a cookie here and there and then 10 percent you have ice cream at night you know and not on a daily basis but just like um you know, if you structure your diet kind of on an 80-20 principle, you can be pretty healthy mm-hmm. as long as 80% of the time you're eating good food. So I'm not super strict on it. Like I like my cookies too. But um, yeah, I think I think it's pretty messed up. Like I, I just don't, um, from my vantage point, and I'm not an expert in nutrition, but we're just not made or designed or evolved or whatever you want to think about it however you want to think about it, to uh, consume grains, sugars, and fats as our primary source. We're designed, evolved, or made 
to eat produce, which is fruits and vegetables and meats. And I think that I don't think like going into carnivore is necessarily the way I think it can work for a time. I don't think going into vegan is necessarily the way I think it can work for a time because you're changing up your diet, which mm -hmm. causes body confusion. And I think that can be a good thing. Um, but yeah, just generally, uh, eating what you find in the produce we, section. It's interesting. I haven't heard anyone tell me specifically that, um, eat seasonally. And I think that's fascinating. I, when we lived in Uganda, they had, um, the staples, rice and beans were a big staple. And then if they had anything else, then they would eat that too. But for the most part, they ate the same thing every day, three meals a day. And I think that is something that as Americans, we don't know what that's like. Oh, I can't, I can't eat the same thing every day. Are you kidding me? I need diversity. Uh, but maybe, maybe we do. I don't know. But I like well, the idea of eating seasonally. Yeah, I think it makes sense, right? As like asparagus comes up in the spring through the snow, it's yep. not really there in uh, November. <laughs> um, so there's been things that have been done to it to preserve it for that time frame. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why. But yeah, and I, I know I, I've heard that too. Like, I think the diversity is good of foods, but um, I also, yeah, I mean, I ate brown rice and um almonds for a really long period of time just really? to get the business off <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah just get the business going yeah. uh brown rice and almonds for some reason were the two things that i ate huh. and i ate that pretty much every day for a long time and a lot of it um but <laughs> yeah i also did an experiment where i was like okay can you eat really healthy organic produce on ten dollars or less a day i think this was back in 2019 so before inflation yeah. but yeah, you can. You just have to be okay with eating the same thing all the time. So if you're eating uh, chicken thighs, a lot of rice, some sweet yeah. potatoes, uh, you know, and trying to add in some diversity in fruits and vegetables when you can. But yeah, it's totally possible. It's just where it, it, it it's boring, right? So it's not fun. I mean, there's only so many uh, days that most people are okay with eating the same thing over and over and over. But it's definitely possible if you want to. It's just how much do you want it? How important, and this will be the last thing, and then I'll let you go, definitely. Um, how important is the community around us? And not necessarily physically, although I think that's part of it, um, but more ideologically. Yeah, well, physically, it, it does have a direct tie yeah. to longevity. So I would say that, that it okay. does have a physical manifestation of health, but ideologically. So I was... Even with a family, like, and I, and I love my family, but even with a family for the first five years of my business, I was super, super lonely, um, kind of doing this, just kind of being off the beaten path and kind of doing something that was, that was working. I was making okay money and mm -hmm. like, uh, great, but not really surrounded by people that I really related to and understood. And my wife, I loved, but she's not really interested in business and she's, in this paradigm of thinking, but even at that time, wasn't super into ozone or I don't think she had even done it for the first four years that I was doing this really? or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so like it was lonely. And from that, I think I created like a, a concept of who I should be and a need to prove myself that was unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So I would work out like really into, ended up breaking my back. because I was pushing myself so Holy hard, cow. but, um, like just for like validation, because I wasn't getting 
I didn't have a community. Mm -hmm. So any sort of superficial validation just fed this like deep seated desire for love and acceptance and like, um, all those, which I think everybody has is like, uh, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have, it's like a deep seated desire for love and unconditional love. And so that's at the root of a lot of this stuff. But, um, at any rate, uh, a few years ago, I started to surround myself with people I love to be around and love to work with and, uh, really relate to, and everything in my life is better, not just at work, but everything in my life is better. Like I sleep better. I feel better. I enjoy going to work. I love working with people. I enjoy traveling. Uh, I have a lot of friends, all that kind of stuff. And I had friends at the time, but I had no peers. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think uh, community is, yeah. I, is there anything more important? I don't know about that. <laughs> like it, it's it's up there, right? And, yeah. Um, how, how has your uh, wife re um, adapted over time to have, to, to that, um, you know, to, to, that group of really valuable people around you. Yeah, I think she's embraced it for the most part. I think mm -hmm. there's other parts that she feels insecure about because I've been getting a lot more attention in the last couple of years than I ever have. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's like a big or like I'm a big deal or anything like that. But like um, when I go to a conference, like like out on the street, nobody knows who I am. Right. But if I go to like a specific conference, say there's a couple thousand people there. Mm -hmm. Well, there's probably, if it's the right one for me, there's probably 1500 people who know who I am or have paid attention to like my emails over the years or that kind yeah. of stuff. So you get a lot of, a lot more attention in those spaces. And, uh, I think that has been a little bit of a struggle for, her. um, just on being like, well, I'm a stay at home mom. And now there's all these like, uh, women around essentially that are do that, that are like doctors or PhDs right. or something like that. And so I think that's been a harder point, but other than that, like, and obviously like, I love my wife's so like, it doesn't matter if there's a hundred babes right. trying to <laughs> right. get at me. And I'm not saying like yeah. any of them are trying to get with me or anything like that, but just, but it's, you gotta be careful around. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So like when I travel, I, I bunk up with, uh, another Christian guy or mm -hmm. something like that. Just, and just as a, kind of a mental uh comfort for her being at home or something like that um but yeah i think uh she's embraced it for the most part and there's some areas like that that have been a little bit more difficult um and then uh it, my work-life balance really ebbs and flows in 2021 I had a lot of flexibility and freedom because I had spent a couple of years building out infrastructure and things to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And then, um, 2021 was kind of like, all right, rinse and repeat. Let's just keep on doing the same. We're doing a really good job. Let's yep. keep on doing the same stuff. Um, and that didn't require a whole lot of me. So I could have taken a month off and been totally fine. Right. Now I can't take, um, cause I'm going back into the process. We got that down. We're building out all new infrastructure that's bigger more robust mm -hmm. able to do stuff um and we've hired tons of people uh recently so it's like now i'm building out infrastructure for that next level and it's just been really demanding like i worked 65 hours last week and you know we traveled down to florida to be here as a family and so that's a little bit tough and i think from the standpoint of being like i know what i want like in the future and what i want to do and i really like doing my job um so it really doesn't come down to finances so much It's like, 
we're building a really cool thing mm -hmm. and I enjoy it and I think it's helping people. Um, and I think that's a little bit tough for her because she's like, you don't need to work. Do you like you, you have money. And like, so I think that's, um, I can't give her that like passion that I have for it to her. And so we've had a little bit of uh, difficulty on that lately, but overall, I, I mean, our relationship is really good mm -hmm. and, uh, I love her. She's my best friend and we, uh, I never get tired of her. So, but yeah, I, I think that's just being real. Like there, yeah. there are ebbs and flows of, uh, things that are difficult for, mm -hmm. so for do you, I mean, us. what is your thought on prioritizing, um, deliberate time? Yeah, I'm huge on like, yeah. I'm very structured on like scheduling. Mm -hmm. So this is scheduled out like my day is in 15 minute increments, really? everything that's supposed to happen. Yeah. And usually it ends up being a little bit different from what it, but then I just go back and retrospectively adjust it to what I actually did. Have you always um, been kind of a very task, I guess, or detail oriented? It seems, it seems no, like I'm that's not, the case. Is that not the case? I'm not hugely detail oriented, but I found that for the sake of productivity, that was the most effective tool that I ever had was scheduling out exactly what I was going to do when I was going to do it. And if I didn't get it all done, it goes to another, like it was just from a purely productive efficiency standpoint, the most helpful tool I personally ever come across. It doesn't work so, for everybody. So what but. is your tip on flipping your brain to where you can actually do that? Because it's one thing to have that as a thought. It's another thing to execute. Um, so if I put it in this, from this standpoint, every day and ideally every minute mm -hmm. that I'm working, but it's not quite to that point. <laughs> I wish it was every day. I am working towards goals at the end of my life to achieve by the time I die. Are they written down and somewhere? So, yeah. So they're in five categories. They're faith, family, fitness, finance, and friends. So those are the five things that, uh, people generally have thoughts about at the end of life. Mm -hmm. So those are the five things that I want to focus on to work towards within my life. And so like with family, it might be like, um, deep and developed relationships with my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and some of the kind of this, like, uh, not quantifiable, but like, uh, open and transparent communication with them and like what that means from there and all that kind of stuff. And so, that's like the, the first thing that I laid out was in those five categories, what are the things that I want? And so you just create a list of all mm -hmm. that. And then you take that down to 10 years and you say, okay, in 10 years, where can I be at? And then I go down to three years and then one year and then one year is brick broken up into quarterly rocks. So like 90 day objectives. And then, um, the, those are broken down into weekly objectives and then that's broken down into daily and then that's broken down from there so that's that's essentially how i work that system um so i think like how do you transform your mind from um just doing things that come up to that um for me i saw the value in it because i just got way more done um when i switched to a scheduling system and then it feels like i'm making progress all the time so like i think it keeps me more motivated um, and it's the other thing that's really nice is that, that I would run into a lot is that like, say I was working on something, um, I would get distracted. I would get really behind or like something else, 
else would pop up in my head and I'd be like, oh, I need to do that. And now my focus is diverted into yeah. all these different things that are vying for my attention. Whereas if I say I have an hour and a half to only focus on this and I have to get it done or I, you know, if I don't get it done in an hour and a half, I have next Thursday that I can work another hour and a half on it or whatever. And so if things pop up, I just throw that into my calendar or just decide not to do it or whatever it is where, you know, delete, delegate or uh, defer down the road. Um, so like between those three things and um, it just it really gave me a lot more freedom in my mind spaces because now I know like this is a protected time. I don't have to worry about anything else right now. This is the only thing I have to do. So every hour that I spend became so much more efficient just because I don't have anything else in my mind while I'm working on something for an hour or two hours or yeah. four hours or whatever. Like that's the time that was specified for this thing. And if something else comes up, there's another time for it. And I can think about it then. So it just gave me a ton of freedom. And that was really, really nice to have because uh, otherwise it felt like things were always vying for my attention. And so there's some other little tips that I do. Um, or that I learned there was this, uh, ancient, ancient brains in a modern world by Larry Rosen or something like that is a professor at MIT. And I think a new book came out by Cal Newport, which I haven't read, but I think it was more the mass audience kind of version of his, yeah. his was a lot of science, but, um, even something as simple as checking Instagram, you know how much time that wastes every time you do that? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, uh, no, actually, yeah. if you check it for 10 seconds, how much time does that waste if you check your phone? Oh, you, any idea? You mean like if you check it, the time it takes to get in there and do it and then get out of it? Uh, productivity lost is seven minutes. Per 10 seconds? I can't remember the exact Is it because it flips but... your thought process? Like you, now you're thinking somewhere else? Yeah, productivity. That so, is yeah. ludicrous. Holy cow. Yeah, Nobody wants to know time... that info. Every time you look at this while you're working on something else, seven minutes of your time has just been lost. And I'm not saying that you spent seven minutes on this, but you flip your yep. brain, you think on something else, yep. and now you're coming back to this. And this was all quantified, too. Mm -hmm. This wasn't just like uh, um, something that he was saying. Like they, they had tons of studies on all of this. So like little things like putting my phone on airplane mode out of sight where I can't see it when I have something I really need to focus mm -hmm. on was really helpful. Um, on my, I don't listen to music. Um, even like sometimes when I'm probably 80% of the time when I'm working out, I don't even listen to music. Um, or when I'm working, if I, if I really want to, I'll listen to music. The other thing you can do is if you really want to listen to music is select like three to five songs that you like that are, you're already really familiar with and put those on repeat because that doesn't engage the brain. With you're new not sounds learning and things new stuff, that you're, right? Yeah, but it can be on in the background. Mm -hmm. And so I do that sometimes. Um, but just even every new stimulus that you introduce while you're working takes away from productivity. So if I'm working on something on my screen, there is one application open with one tab, nothing else. My desktop is empty. When you go to my home screen, yeah. there's nothing on it. Um, is there a picture so or is that, it black? Uh, well, there's a picture <laughs> of a mountain, okay. but like there's, there's no applications yep. that I can click. Um, and yeah, maybe a very small incremental improvement would mm -hmm. be to make it black. But, um, I think the point though, is just removing any potential distraction and not even like that. I'm going to click on it, but just by virtue of the fact that knowing my phone is mm -hmm. here, that, which is why I put it in a drawer out of sight, mm -hmm. 
I'm less likely to reach for it. I'm less likely to even think about reaching for it. And so I can be a little bit more productive in what I'm doing. And I'm not perfect in this, by the way. And I kind of ebb and flow. Sometimes I'm really anal. Everything is blocked out in the 15 minutes and I know exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to really get into it. And then other times I just kind of feel like uh, listening to music and writing some emails. And if it's kind of in that mode where I can be a little bit more free, I allow myself to do that. So it's not like my life is super rigid in that respect. But I also, now that I've learned that skill, have the chance to, I can work uninterrupted except for going to the bathroom. Um, I don't eat for like 10 hours a day of like just really intense focus into one thing. And that's really a really nice skill to have. Was, was that learned? Or do you think it's part of that yeah. built into you? Like the, the ability I'm, to like, I'm now in the middle of this project. I need to just, you just get sucked in. Uh, I think there's personality that plays into it for sure, which is why I said for me, mm -hmm. the most productive tool yep. that I've ever learned. And so maybe there's 30% of people out there that are like me that it could be really helpful for. I don't know what that number would be. But yeah, I think uh, the folk, like the intensity of the focus was definitely learned. Wow. Because um, I don't feel like I had that in the past. I just felt like I was always, which is why I went into it, because I just felt like I was pulled into so many directions all the time and not getting it nearly as much done. And uh, yeah, uh, I just, I can't, uh, like, I, I have too much going on to handle it any other way. Like, I would just forget everything. Like, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just it's probably not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to be really good about that part is putting things on my calendar. But wow, yeah, I don't know. It's been helpful for me. And I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. I think more than anything, like I think the um, putting your phone like to where you're not going to pick it up while you're working mm -hmm. is probably something that applies to everybody. Um, I think having fewer distractions is probably something that applies to everybody as far as like the scheduling system. Maybe not. But I think having a system in place that helps you to be productive is kind of the, yeah, the underlying message there. Fascinating. Um, it's always cool to see people that are doing stuff. So uh, I am very intrigued and very appreciative of your time. Um, any last thoughts before I let you go off and enjoy the sun? <laughs> no, it's uh, good to meet you. I wish I would have learned a little bit about what you're doing. I know you're. Uh, you said you got elected to something. You're doing some photography. You're doing this podcast. I probably should have spent a little bit more time asking instead of just talking. But this is know. a show about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. but I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And uh, you know, if you're ever if you're ever in the South Dakota area, where I don't I know do if, drive why through you would South be, Dakota but... every year. Well, there you go. Which way? <laughs> Um, to Washington. I, I know. Sorry. Would to, uh, you run through South Dakota on 90 through Sioux Falls? Or well, do you we go, go through Fargo up that way? Yeah, you can go through Fargo or South Dakota. Um, they end up being pretty similar in their time. So if we go through, uh, why can't I think of the park? The big park. Oh, Yellowstone? Western Wyoming. Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's the big one. Yeah, if we go through Yellowstone, we go through South Dakota. Gotcha. Yeah, we're about two hours north of Sioux Falls, so of the interstate. Okay, cool. um, but no, this is fascinating, and I appreciate it. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, I don't know. I'm my brain is rolling. So thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. It's sorry, probably spit out no. uh, too much things in a very chaotic way. So no, yeah, this is I appreciate good. it, Craig. I like the thought process. So 
Thank you very much. Thanks, Micah, for taking time out of your day in uh, sunny Florida. Simplyo3.com. Uh, on the social media, Instagram and TikTok at Micah for Health. Check them out. Don't forget, if you get value out of the show, the interviewpodcast.org is where you can support the show in a couple of ways. You can send a donation that is the amount of value that you get out of the show. The other way that you can help support the show is by telling more people about it. Everything is welcome and much appreciated. We thank you so much for listening. Have a great time. We will see you on the next one. See you later.